0: All right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest, two guests. They've authored together a book that has been recently published. The title of the book is Box Full of Nightmares, Terry Hobbs' Personal Memoirs on the West Memphis Three Murders. It was written by Vicky Edwards, who joins us tonight, but also the person who the book is about, and it's Terry Hobbs. And it's very personal. I enjoyed it. I read it within 24 hours. I read it with great interest. I think it's essential reading for anybody who really wants to understand this entire saga that unfortunately is still continuing about the West Memphis Three, and we can, can talk about recent developments. But uh, the book really goes into it's a, for me. It was reading it. I could feel that sense the pain of of the circumstances of losing a child, and it's something that I have written about. And unfortunately, kind of been drawn into the whole situation as well. As an author of a book, my title of my book was "Abomination, Devil Worship, and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murders," which I published uh, in 2014. And uh, so it was uh, it was it was really something else for me to read that book. But I'm really glad that these two have taken time to tell tell their story and also tell about how this book came to be and about the contents of the book. So, Vicky and Terry, are you there? yes i can hear you okay good terry can you hear me i can hear you awesome well maybe to get started for people who don't know uh your names or or haven't heard the background you started maybe uh you can start terry and then vicky is tell a little bit about your background and how you came about to write this excellent book box full of nightmares
1: well my name is is terry and uh You know, we lost a son back in 1993 in West Memphis. Him and his two buddies come up, found dead. And, you know, and it's just been, it's been a tough life to live. And it's been one that we're determined to keep on living. So, you know, we've had, there's been several twists come about in this case, you know, and, but you know, it's this person saying one thing, this person saying another so as i noticed all this i decided you know i'm gonna keep a box full of journals and that's what i've done you know i've done this for years and i'm still doing it because there's a lot of other things still happening okay uh so together you know with the different events happening and with the journaling and the reason it took me so long because it's been it's really been a hard thing to do to keep up with and to you know put it into a story so as we you know as the years went on you know it, it took a while and uh i was approached by my cousin vicky and she asked if she could you know do this for me and you know so together you know we come up with different things, different ideas. And, and Vicki has become the author of this book.
0: Awesome. And Vicki, when did you guys start, uh, start the process of uh, writing the book?
2: Well, I approached him in 2005 at a family reunion. And it took us about a year from the family reunion moving forward before we actually decided to do anything, um, uh, Terry had to give it a lot of thought. Was he ready? Was it ready? I think there were some considerations, you know, as far as some movies coming out and things. We wanted to see how that played out. Um, And we worked on it really hard for, I don't know, three or four years. And then we had a standstill. And all together, I rewrote the book a total of three times before the publisher accepted it. The first time I sent it in, the publisher said, uh, said that wasn't thick enough, didn't have enough words, didn't have enough story, didn't have enough anything. It just wasn't enough. So I brought it back, and I started working on it again and trying to supplement it, and I resubmitted it. And I had written it the first time all from Terry's point of view. There was no indication that anybody wrote it except Terry, you know. So I sent it back, and the editor and publisher said, we can't take this with you as the author because it's written all in first person. You know, it looks like Terry wrote it. So it came back and sat on my desk for, I don't know, 18 months, and I was asleep one night, and when I woke up the next morning, I said, I know how to fix the book. And then the third time, still it took a year from the time I submitted the rewrite before they actually published it. So it was, it was quite a process and working back and forth with Terry on phone and email and he came to my house a lot. We went to West Memphis a couple of times. It's just, it was a big process.
0: Gotcha. And uh, it was just, what was the date of publication on Amazon? It was just within the last two months or was it?
2: April 2nd.
0: April 2nd, right. So very recent. And uh, you said that it's broken the top 100 in your category of, I think it was crime memoirs, correct?
2: Yes, a couple of days ago, last week, it hit top 100. Super excited, 96, I believe, to be exact. But
0: still, in there. (laughs) Awesome. So once the uh, book kind of came together, what, uh, you've done some interviews, but maybe you can talk about how you really kind of dealt with this very painful event that took place on May 5th, uh, 1993. Maybe maybe the, the thing we can talk about, Terry, is what your life was like before that event.
1: Well, before uh, May the 5th, you know, I was just a working man, a family man, uh, took care of my obligations and, you know, come out of a family of a working family and, you know, just kind of carried on that tradition. You no, know, and I left a uh, a biz a family business where we had, I believe it was about thirty-two uh, franchised catfish restaurants that my dad started. You know, and I just didn't think I was a catfish man, so I w- uh, moved out of that into moving into West Memphis. You know, and I think I moved there in nineteen eighty-seven if I remember right. And, you know, just started a, a life there.
0: And and you you come from a minister's family, right, with brothers and sisters, correct?
1: I did. Uh, Dad was a, a Pentecostal preacher. And we had, I had two brothers and one sister.
0: And you kind of described it in the book as kind of an idyllic uh, upbringing. Would you agree with that?
1: Well, uh, you know, I think they set down some good standards for us to live by. And if you learned them, well, I think it kind of helps you when you needed them. Gotcha.
0: And uh Stevie was a stepson, correct? You raised him from when he was a year and a half old. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And um, so the, the the biological father is still around, right? His name is also Stephen Branch. Is that right?
1: His name it is and he's over in Arkansas somewhere.
0: Gotcha. And how did you meet uh how did you and you also have other children, right? So other than him mean, you had an older son and a younger daughter, right?
1: I do have one.
0: Gotcha. And how did you meet your wife at that time, Pam?
1: I met Pam uh I had a, one of the franchise restaurants of my dad's in Blaville, Arkansas. And I bought that franchise, okay? And I hired Pam's sister come work for me, and she kept indicating that she had a sister that she'd like to, you know, for me to put to work as a waitress. And, and finally I did, and that's how I met Pam. Gotcha.
0: And so um, how many years apart were her and Steve? And Steve?
1: How many years There's apart? In their age? Yes, I'm not sure about that. No.
0: Okay, gotcha. And maybe I mean, your whole world changed after the boys went missing that night. Uh, maybe Vicky wants to talk about that. It's how how that whole situation developed on May 5th, 1993.
2: I'm sorry. Could you repeat that last
0: the question? Well, I was just crying, You know, I just was t- say trying to think about how terry's life changed after this event how it changed irrevocably really and in the book you you really do repeat that theme about how his life was never really going to be the same after the disappearance of uh, the three boys
2: well i didn't keep up with terry a lot before it happened although you know cousins you kind of know what's going on and it was well before the days of social media but when I remember of him before, he uh, he worked hard. They played hard. Uh, we you know he just had a pretty normal life. And after May of '93, he we heard you know through the family and stuff how they were dealing with the murder. And then there was a big wall of where it was kind of all behind them. I mean, there were a lot of years that I guess they were kind of, I mean, they'd lost a child. But to the rest of the world, things kind of evened out. And then in, I think, 2007 is uh, when, well, after all the Paradise Lost movies or documentaries came out, in 2007, when they uh, found the DNA that matched, you know, half of West Memphis or more, then things in Terry's life really started going downhill again with this. And I think a lot of the book really deals with mostly 2007 on and how much he was harassed and people jumping on that bandwagon of the uh, Terry didn't. Um,
0: or Terry was, done it, the Terry done it club. Yeah, the Cherry Dunnett Club. And so maybe we can talk about that because I know about the West Memphis Three movies. I saw the first one was 1996, which if you watch it at the very end, it pretty much they they looks like Eccles. The second one, I think, was done in 2000 or 2001 where Eccles and Baldwin 100% are convinced that uh, John Mark Byers, who was the stepparent of another one of the boys, did it they say that conclusively on that documentary that they're 100% sure and then something happened in between that one and they they're also that that documentary involved people who were sympathetic from Los Angeles so it showed that this this case was morphing not unlike other prominent cases in the public eye today so you see this that the West Memphis 3 is also part of this current of uh, retrying cases in the public domain or in the court of public opinion. And really the third one was when they really went after Terry. And this is 15 years after the event when Terry the night of the crime went three times to the police office officer's station wondering what's going on. When he's seen by multiple people, uh constantly out looking to know what's going on. So there's no hint in any of the case records or any really any of the files from nineteen ninety-three to two thousand seven of any in even the iota of questioning whether Terry was involved in Terry you went to all the trials correct? I did. We had so, two trials. Two trials, right. So that was another thing that people don't key into about these cases is that they were Jesse Miskelly's trial was separated from Baldwin and Eccles, so they were tried separately by two different juries of 12 and convicted unanimously. So, you know, there was really no doubt, and now since 2007, it's been 10 years of this really unquenchable, Terry did it, and I think it's all the power of PR, and maybe we can talk about that, but how did that start for you, Terry? How did this new... Kind of uh, blame Terry thing. How did that? Uh, you talk about it in the book, but maybe you can talk about it here. Is how did that start, and how did that affect you?
1: Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. It was it popped up? Said Zoom was muted for some reason. Anyway, uh, this I'm gonna say around 2007 when you know I was being harassed and by the uh, Ron Lax and Rachel Geyser crew. That was investigators for the defense, and they were stalking. I I called it stalking, but they were going out of their way to, you know, question me, question my neighbors, say things about me to my neighbors. Then all of a sudden, uh, you know, I go down to meet with him at his office, and because I wouldn't do what he wanted me to do, Ron Lacks I'm talking about, he he told me, he looked at me, he said, I'm going to sick the dogs on you. That's exactly what he told me. And next thing you know, here comes John Douglas rolling into town, XBI or FBI ex-profiler. Okay, he comes rolls into town. I meet with him. The first meeting I thought it was a pretty good meeting. You know, he seemed like a sensible man. I didn't know he was profiling me at the time. But anyway, I was just meeting. I answered his questions, you know, and it, it goes on and then it starts hitting the media the newspapers uh the pr firm done mailed something to everybody and from that day on back in 2007 it's been just one thing after another where they had picked on me and and quit and won't quit and they won't leave me alone still today they're still bugging me about it and and some of my family
0: and I still see it on the uh, social media, too. It's always There's always somebody saying, you know, there's the DNA of Terry Hobbs, which they've never proven conclusively is yours. They've said that it's consistent, but it's also consistent with 7% of the population, which they found the defense, you know, basically caved to an Alford plea four months before the evidentiary hearing where they could have proven that it was legit. But it's really much more. Meaningful in the court of public opinion than in a court of law. It doesn't prove that you were there or even that you were involved in the trial when, like I said, nobody saw you muddy, but there was a whole family that saw Eccles close to the crime muddy and also testified about that in court. Um, But when you met with John Douglas, you wrote in the book that you thought you were going to meet with just Diane Holt at a hotel and all of a sudden he was there. Is that true?
1: Right. He was there. That was our second meeting.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: and in that second meeting I get up and I walk out and as I'm walking down I get up uh, because I already seen when I first walked in and sat down I just I got to looking around I'm thinking this is not right and then all of a sudden they start attacking me I could tell this was not the same tone that they used on the first meeting that we had I get up and walk out as I'm walking down the hallway, they're standing in the hall yelling at me, "You come back here! You come back here!" And I just keep on walking. Wow,
0: that's amazing. So, do at that time, John Douglas was being paid by the defense? Is that correct? Correct. And this is like at the 2007 time. There, there was I mean, there were numbers being bandied about that the this PR campaign that involved all these celebrities, Johnny Depp, and the lady girl from the Dixie Chicks and And Henry Rollins. Yeah. And that they raised something like 10 to $20 million. So they were able to have this kind of multi-pronged, multi-faceted attack involving private investigator, Ron Lax, who was in the first Paradise Lost and who has passed away. John Douglas, uh, Ronnie Sowery, the PR guy from New York, which is a strange place. And the best, really the best, you know, appellate attorneys and attorneys out there. It's really uh, overwhelming. And then when did they start putting up this, the billboards and all that information looking for the so-called real killer?
1: I'm not sure what year that happened, you know, but if you remember, their reward went from 100000 up to 200000 Okay, you know, we, got, we tried to call and tell them you know, who the, who we thought was the killer, so we could collect the reward, they wouldn't pay us.
0: <laughs> right, right, well, right, because you could have made, you could have just said, well, the guys who are currently convicted, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, in this case, is remarkable because these guys have been convicted twice. You don't often see that. An Alfred plea is a conviction. It's a guilty conviction. You're allowed yeah. to say you're innocent in public, but in any court of law, 100% guilty. So, they started really harassing you and there was online harassment and people were like watching you in strange places. Do you want to talk about that as well? And it's still ongoing to t- t- today. Right? Well, I've had a lot of
1: them, you know, this, I mean, out of the blue, I've had a couple uh, d- retired detectives from New York city show up at, at my work. Yeah. There's a couple of them guys come down, you know, and everyone that has come to, to visit me, I always tell them, and you don't need to convince me you need to cross that bridge go over and convince the west memphis police department and evidently they don't know where the bridge is never made it over there and you know went on about their way
0: right that's interesting like they uh the police are still convinced they got the right perpetrators gitchell who was the original detective was still around as far as i know you were in contact with him correct yes sir
2: um I would like to say that the Paradise, okay, you mentioned Paradise 2 and Paradise 3. Paradise 3 really didn't happen until John Mark Byers jumped ship and started saying Terry did it. When he joined the West Memphis 3 group, that's when a big bunch of the shift happened. And then on Paradise 3, which really points fingers a lot at Terry, I went with Terry and met uh, Bruce and Joe up in, north arkansas and i heard a lot of the things that they asked him and what they said to him and then of course with the power of editing uh, it came out totally different you know they they really edited it to make terry look like he admits to being guilty
0: for people and, sorry to interrupt but for people who don't know who was bruce and joe
2: uh they they were the producers uh, per of all the Paradise Lost documentaries.
0: Right. So it's Bruce, Joe Berlinger, and Bruce Sanofsky.
2: Yes. And they were up for uh an Oscar when the Terry uh, when that third Paradise Lost was coming out. So they actually had some delay in there trying to get, you know, their nomination in because of that. Um, also I interviewed a retired uh state trooper a few weeks ago And this is still kind of in the works but he indicated to me that he used to transport jesse miscelli to and from the trials and and to jail and he said a lot of the things that they didn't release to the public jesse miscelli would sit in the police car and talk about things that were at the crime scene that he shouldn't have known so from the police standpoint, they said there never was any doubt who was guilty. But of course, with all the 800 hours of of trial hours and things that they have, they only released the parts that help the, the guys look like they're innocent.
0: Right, so Sanofsky and Berlinger were there recording this whole thing and, and yeah. Yes. I mean, they're very selective they editing, 800 editing.
2: 800 hours of video. Yeah.
0: Right. Which is never released, right? So Burlinger is still around because he just put out the movie that made Ten Bundy look like uh, right fire boy. So you know, and I saw some of those earlier. He was doing a press thing. And he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm into." Evil. I can't remember verbatim what he said, but he was sounding really strange, like nothing that you would want to really say. He was saying, in my opinion, but um, I know people who were. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Netflix regret. Uh, I don't want to go into detail, but they didn't like that movie. They didn't like the fact that they even, well, yeah, there's real problems with that movie. So, uh, yeah. So those movies in their editing, I mean, I, for me, when I looked at this whole case, I think the distortion of the case in the public eye, I think, in my opinion, can firmly rest on HBO and Berlinger and Sanofsky is really, that's really where it started. Would you guys agree with that?
1: Would do. I don't know how they weaseled their way into the first trial, but they did.
0: And I think you wrote in the book, Terry, I wrote this quote down. It was, this was the first of many assurances and promises they would break before all was said and done. So they had made you, originally made you promises and you felt like or believed that a lot of those promises were broken. Can you talk to that?
1: Oh, they did yeah we we asked different things and they would they would tell us yes we will and then we get when they go back to new york and you know do their editing uh we get phone calls well we're not able to do that our producers won't you know allow us to and blah 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 just you know and you could tell that you know you've been lied to
0: Trust. and there was i mean there were there were definitely i don't know what the first one but They were paying people for their involvement in two and three. Is that right? Or was it just three?
1: Well, they offered us money to do two. We told them we didn't want to do no part of no part of it. So they told us that they give Mark a thousand dollars to get out there and act like he acted.
0: And that was in one, right? Where he had a gun and was shooting away and stuff like that. That was in two. Two. Okay. Sorry. I don't remember. Um, So, like that whole—I think that's what really created that kind of circus atmosphere—is that those films and their inability to just make a clear case of what really happened based upon the court transcripts. It just was like they were, yeah, it was really crazy. So, two thousand seven, you're up against this big onslaught. I mean, you did have people who supported you, correct?
1: I did, still do, still do. Yeah, but you know, it's. Uh, well, you, you're talking millions of dollars worth of money. Peter Jackson come along, and everybody knows the story about him. You know, it's just more money. He's a, what does that think like he's a billionaire? Right. You know, so and
0: I heard that he financed or mostly financed um, Eccles's documentary West of Memphis. Right.
1: That's what I've I've heard that. Yeah.
0: Um. And, I mean, you had, you still kind of, I mean, one of the interesting aspects of your, of the book is you're kind of, you're still have, you still have faith. You still go to church. You still have a church family. And that seems to be a real sanctuary for you. Is that correct? Church has
1: been good. It it has. Because, you know, before, now you may not know this, but before right at 2007, I was going to. Uh, a counseling group, and when this 2007 broke out all over the airways, uh, they sent me a letter. This uh, counseling group and and asked me not to come back, and you know, and that kind of just hit. You know, I, I, that hurt. You know, so I, I found a, a church where I went to, and we I went to the grief share classes with them. Uh, several times and you know that's where you learn some things and inside the grief share classes
0: other other people with the same um, situation the same kind of grief and pain that you've carried for almost it's like a quarter century now
1: yeah you'd be you'd be surprised what people grieve over
0: (laughs) I mean that must be very difficult um, Vicki, what, uh, what are your thoughts about a lot of this, this kind of, uh, public acrimony that Terry's had to endure?
2: Well, when, and I'm a member of some of the groups, kind of keep an eye on them, and I don't say too much, but it seems to be a lot of people just on a bandwagon. They, they don't really have true knowledge or. They're roped into that. Oh, those boys were convicted because they wore black and listened to rock music, without ever really looking at it. And it's like Terry's a likely a likely subject. Um, obviously, we all we all have skeletons in our closet, and they think those things that Terry has in his past make make him a viable suspect. Well, you know, just because. I've done something in my past doesn't mean that my future is defined by that, and I think people lose sight of lose sight of that in in trying to find somewhere and someone to blame in order to not blame the
0: three. Gotcha. And uh, <clears throat> they really tried to like get other DNA evidence from you, right, Terry. I remember reading in the book they were trying to take your cigarette butts and stuff like that.
1: Well, when I went down and met with Ron Lax at his at his office, you know, that was one of the questions he that one of the things he wanted from me was my DNA, and I wouldn't give it to him, you know. And he slid a glass down a sixteen foot table at me, and I slid it right back at him, you know, and because I wouldn't wouldn't do what I I seen right then, you know, and I probably shouldn't have went to that meeting. i seen right then this was no good you know he is he's no good and i didn't want to be a part of this so you know they would come to my home pick up cigarette butts you know out of the ground inside the house you know i guess anything to get their uh dna
0: and there was like a bit i'm sorry continue
2: carrie's never refused to share his dna with the state though he has been very open about doing whatever the state ask of him because he owes the prosecution you know he owes the defense team nothing
0: right and they asked him to come back in during this time of great suspicion and provide his dna and you went in right terry
1: brent called me and asked me if i would go brent davis and i said sure you know anything that you ever need from me let me know
0: And all of this kind of uh, pressure led up to the release of the three convicts in August of 2011. There was a new prosecutor who agreed to this Alford plea. What were your thoughts at that time, uh, Terry?
1: Well, I was there when that happened in Jonesboro. And I just thought, you know, I couldn't understand why the new DA didn't want to... uh, go ahead and fight it, but uh, at the same time, the defense approached him, you know, so it was more of the defense not wanting to go to battle with the state, and because in the Afro plea, it says that we have enough evidence to convict.
0: Right, and they signed on the dotted line, all three of them, Baldwin, Eccles, and Miskelly, all signed that they pled guilty again to first degree murder, so, and with the best lawyers, so they can't even make a a Sixth Amendment plea of, like, insufficiency of counsel. You guys have the best lawyers in the country, the most money, and you still pled guilty instead of going back to trial, which should make the public or people question the validity or or the efficacy of their evidence. So,
2: Well, um, and they say they did that, so they didn't prosecute or, you know, put Damien to death. But if you look at how many people in the state of Arkansas has actually been put to death, in the past the chances of that happening in the near future like i keep claiming was slim to none
0: well the way that they played in the public too is that they they the the, the state offered that to prohibit them from suing them on an innocence project type suit where the state would be liable for millions of dollars mm-hmm. you know so that's the way that it's it's played in public but those aren't really the facts of how that whole offer plea kind of came out came into uh, came into being, but it wasn't you know they I think that Steve Branch also was there when they were released objecting to it. Um, I think that uh, the Moores have always been against the release both of the Moore parents um, and buyers I' don't, really don't know what he came. I know that his wife passed away. Um, but yeah just 2011 so and even you know in uh, this post-release you know supposedly they're looking for the real perpetrators and uh you know they've had now it's been eight years I think since they've been out how's that going well they put all their eggs in west of
2: Memphis because I guess they didn't want to put them in
0: so West of Memphis is the doc so called documentary Amy Berg uh came out with, when when did that come out was that 2016 I don't remember 2014
2: I'm not sure
0: I'm not sure but there's been another movie one that supposedly Ron lax is the was the key player was Devil's Not based upon Ma- Mara Leveler it's in my opinion poorly researched book um that wasn't really conclusive at all it had a list Hollywood actors, but uh And did it you...
2: didn't really follow her book because if you read uh her book, the Devil's Track, it's all about John Mark Byers.
0: Right, that's right. I remember that. I have to read it again. What did you think about that depiction of Ron Lax, uh Terry? And did you get to see Devil's Not? Did you watch that?
1: I I went no, we some I think we bought the movie just to watch it and see what it was about. Uh, I wasn't impressed by none of it. <laughs> all
0: right, Terry, or I'll ask this to you, Vicki. Did you, um, during this time when all that money was around, did you ever feel that anything underhanded was taking place or people were being paid off or being bought off?
2: Well, I felt like it did. Um, I, th- I thought right after the billboards came out and there was all the money, That the two boys came out with the Hobbs family secret. I felt like the money was directly connected to that even though when I spoke to one of those boys, he adamantly uh, claimed that they did not get any money. I did not believe him. Plus in the interview with Amanda, she did state that, you know, they were giving people money to and leading them into questions that they they wanted the answers to. And I asked her, did they ask her to say specific things? And she said, no, but they would ask the question in such a way that, you know, lead you to the answer. And of course when the answers were right is when the money would come out.
0: Interesting, that's interesting. So they ask leading questions to certain things, gotcha. And, uh, um, you, the title of the book is Box Full of Nightmares, and that, what does that reference? And it's a theme that kind of goes through this whole book from beginning to end. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: tossed around a lot of titles, and the uh, publisher actually came up with that one. And because I actually had a box of Terry's journals here, he, he came up with the play on, on words. If you look at the cover, I know it's hard to see, but the things that were in the box or and the box is what's all spread around on the cover of the book gotcha but it kind of alluded to the actual box he kept his his journals in
0: right so that was something that he was continually writing still says he's writing and still kind of writing letters to people and writing things about uh all the pain and trauma and suffering and things like that um, What's happened, Terry, since the book's come out? What's your, any, have you gotten any feedback, any hate mail? What, what's the general kind of consensus?
1: Well, I've, I've got feedback from people all around the world. You'd really be surprised. And a lot of people said, we have been waiting on to hear from you. And I get emails that just blows my mind sometimes what people say. And, you know, sometimes I'd get off and I might even tear up a little bit because I, you know, I didn't know. And I kind of felt like it, but I really didn't know that people were wanting to hear something.
0: And were so most of the emails are sympathetic?
1: Yes. Yeah. People, they were, you know, they tell me how strong of a person I am to endure this. And they tell me what it has done in their life to encourage them. You know, and it's really some really good feedback, and they're all, most of them been messages, messages, emails, and it's just unbelievable at the that I'm getting.
0: Oh, great. That's awesome. Yeah, because, like, when I was reading the book, the thing that came to my mind was, like, the book of Job, you know, just like, you still kept your faith, but all the suffering through all those years, you know.
1: Yeah, it, it seemed like it just, it won't quit, you know, and I don't understand people why they have to act like they do. But, you know, at the same time, there's probably more people out there that's excited about seeing the book come out.
0: Well, here's a question that just came to my mind. Damien Eccles was on Dr. Oz two days ago. Why haven't they invited you or Vicky on there to tell your side of the story? You have a book. He has a book.
1: Yeah. I haven't read none of those. I only intend to. You no, know, it's I'm just trying to live and survive all of this. And there's a group out there called the New Beginning who is, you know, they're into this now. And they're they're doing it again.
0: So they're they're trying to tag you as the Terry Dunn It Again that's happening? They are. Hmm. Yeah. They really are. And have you and, follow, have you followed this whole Bob Ruff investigation for on what's commonly known as Truth and Justice? Have I done what now? Have you followed the podcast Truth and Justice? No, but he's he's also part of the New Beginning. So oh, Bob Ruff is part of New Beginning. Yes, sir. I didn't know that.
2: And didn't he no. ask you to be on his new show?
0: He
1: asked. I, I bought him dinner. Here in Memphis one time, where he flew in to meet with me, we went out to eat, and he asked if I would uh, do some videoing for his whatever he's doing. And I told him no, but he he's got a hold of Ryan, if you remember, Ryan is Christopher's brother, Mm -hmm. uh, Ryan Clark, and he's been in touch with Ryan. He he got a hold of Dominique. Uh, and they did an interview and read some video in the same day here in Memphis.
0: How long ago was that?
1: Uh, at the end of last year.
0: Because he says yeah, that no, some, thought, some kind of video presentation is coming out at the end of summer, so. That's why he said. Um, what was your opinion of Dominique Tier? I never,
1: I wasn't there. I didn't go well not there for that,
0: okay, but you saw her when you back in nineteen ninety three and ninety four when the trials were do you remember that
1: we do I do remember her, and you know she was probably a, just a young girl that you know i don't know just a young young lady i don't I didn't pay no attention to her
0: because I mean i was just kind of more interested like when I was looking through the case files the occultism and Crowley and all this stuff really popped out to me you said you had been to Stonehenge I think you said you went with Vicki or you either went alone and that was supposedly where a lot of this dark stuff happened do you remember or want to talk about Stonehenge
1: well I did go Pam's dad uh Jackie Sr and he got into this uh going around he wanted to find these kids doing all this satanic stuff you know uh, with the animal stuff so I would he'd come down to West Memphis pick me up he lived in Blywell, Arkansas so he made an 80 mile trip pick me up at our home and we'd ride around to places i never even thought of you know and he he knew he knew where Stonehenge was I didn't and I went out there with him I don't you know he was just looking Yeah, and he would do videos, and so you know, none of that stuff meant nothing to me back then. You know, we was dealing with what we was dealing with at the time. Does
0: it does it mean anything to you now? No, no. Did he? uh, Did you see anything? Because I thought you said in the book that there were like animal remains or anything. Do you remember anything like that? There was. uh,
1: They had their graffiti all plastered all over every stuff and, and there's a few things a few bones you might see laying around you know but i didn't know what all that meant didn't mean nothing to me
0: but you said in the book when you were on at robin hood hills that you sensed something really dark and evil there on the night of the murders is that true do you remember that
1: it is true yes sir i remember that
0: i don't know what happened
1: uh, but as i veered off down this little path you know it's something stopped me and i don't know what happened but something stopped me and i couldn't go any further and i stood there and looked around didn't say nothing but i just felt like i couldn't go any further forward
0: like a presence or something something evil was there. Yeah. it just
1: seemed like it i don't know i, I wasn't supposed to go any further
0: Gotcha. And uh, you've also had, not just people, but other, these, you've just had this whole experience of decade, at least a decade of these kind of amateur sleuths snooping around all the time. Not just Ron Lax, but you told the story of somebody who came all the way from Australia.
1: Yeah. Hey, mate.
0: <laughs> I like
1: their accent.
0: That's funny in there. Come and ask well, you questions you. and try to figure it out, right? Yeah. Actually, one of them moved in
1: with Mark Myers.
0: Oh, interesting. One
1: of the guys did. And stayed with him until he figured out that he was in the wrong camp.
0: Interesting. And he actually,
1: he actually went on Facebook and apologized to me. And, and he wanted it on Facebook so everybody could see because they had been tearing him up.
0: Interesting. Do you remember his name or where, where that uh, that statement can be found? Stu Fox. Stu Fox. Yeah. Okay. Because I, you know, I had never heard that. I was really grateful just for you to I tell your it. stories because as somebody who studied this case and went through all the case files independently, and we never talked before I published my book, right? Uh, okay. Do you remember right. me and you talking? No, we never talked, right? Correct. So when I went through everything, all the stuff that you added was really helpful. You know, there's just so many details. And that was one of the real excellent parts of the book is all these, just the details that you you guys were able to leave on paper, I think, which is why that's, I said that's
1: it. Why I did, that's why I did the journaling. You know, at the time it was easy to write it down because, you know, it was, it happened. And not only did this happen, there are police reports. I'm, I did make some police reports about some of these things that these people were doing. And they're, they're at the Memphis Police Department.
0: Interesting. Today. You also called the FBI, right?
1: I sure did. Right. When John Douglas comes through town, I got a hold of the FBI. And I wanted to know what they thought about him.
0: Interesting. What, what did they say about him? Did they say anything? They weren't really happy with him. Oh, interesting. Seriously. Well I yeah. wrote you know I wrote an article that's online of that people are bored about how his analysis of the West Memphis 3 is factu- factually incorrect and that's called John Douglas and the West Memphis 3 and you can see you just missed basic facts like elementary child level third grade facts that you just left out so you wonder why those omissions are there and uh there's a picture of him and Eccles that I think is very telling if people can find because Eccles is sitting at a table with his wife and they have a thing of tarot cards with this kind of very, this guy that supposedly has a great reputation, John Douglas. And Damien Eccles has got his arm up and he's flashing it right at John Douglas's face. And it has a black dragon tattoo, which is a really heavy duty occult tattoo. And John Douglas just smiling away, just couldn't be, you know, couldn't be bothered at all. Just didn't, he never talked about that stuff. So well, on the Dr. Oz show, uh, Echoes did talk about John Douglas.
2: He said how he was very kind and he was so happy to meet him and that in the absence of his family being so poor, they couldn't come and visit with him. The celebrities and John Douglas became his, his family.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Wow. Um, yeah, and you've had kind of a run-in too, uh, Terry, with one of the celebrity supporters, Natalie Maines from the uh, Dixie Chicks, correct?
1: Uh, we did, yeah. Uh, I don't know why, you know, she wanted to single me out, pick on me like she did, but, you know, if she did what she did, and there was some attorneys got a hold of me and said, let us do this for you. Well, I didn't know... You know anything about uh lawsuits you know I've never did done them in my life, and I learned a great deal by this and and but in the at the end of the day, you know she learned to quit taking on people I think and we moved on with our life and i I posted on on my Facebook page the other day for you know that group's getting back together. I think, you know, they had broke up for a sale. But I think now that they're reuniting and, you know, hopefully we'll see where they, if they do this.
0: Right. So the Dixie Chicks are getting back together. One of the things that I haven't seen is these celebrities kind of going out in public, uh, vaunting for the West Memphis Three. I don't really see that happening as much recently. Do you guys have any idea why that is?
1: Well, it probably got in their pocketbook. <laughs> I remember their attorney, Mr. Davidson, you know, he's he's one of them high-dollar attorneys. He probably told him to leave people
0: alone. <laughs> right. And uh, let's see. The guy's name was uh, – you said, and you wrote in the book, which is interesting, you said that Depp went to the Obama White House to va- va- like on behalf of the West Memphis three. Is that correct? I don't, I've never heard that. Johnny Depp. Do you guys recall that part of the book? No. No. Okay. Cause there was written in there and I know Depp was at the white house, but I was just hoping to confirm that. Um, and, uh, how did Terry, how did Lisa O'Brien, how did you get in touch with her and how did she write the intro?
1: Well, she came to West West Memphis one time in Memphis, and uh, we met up, I think she she was with Sean Wheeler, if I remember right, and that's how we met up. I'm not sure uh, what that's there, but we went down to meet with them.
0: Gotcha. And she, uh, she was with, she actually debated Bob Ruff about the West Memphis Three case of people are interested in looking, finding that I think you can just type in her name, Lisa O'Brien, and Bob Ruff, um, find out about that uh, that discussion. Um, is there anything else you guys would like to cover? We're probably at about an hour. Is there anything that I missed, or anything you'd like to add, or either like to either of you like to make a closing statement?
1: Well, I'm, I might say this: there's still things happening. And there's been things happening, some big things since the uh the well since the past two or three years, there's been some big serious things happen, you know, with people out there on that side doing things to this family. Gotcha. So and we have journaled them and the journaling continues and it happens one day.
0: Gotcha. And, uh, anything you would like to add Vicki?
2: Um, no, if people would like a signed copy of the book, uh, I have copies that were signed by Terry here. They can contact me directly okay. and, uh, we'll, we'll be happy to get signed copies out to them. If they order off Amazon, of course they won't, they won't be signed.
0: What, uh, how can they contact you?
2: Uh, they can go to, uh, vicki.edwards.author at gmail.com, uh, Follow me on Twitter at S.V. Edwards or uh, my Facebook page, Vicki Edwards Author, and uh, they can pick me up any of those places.
0: Right. And the book is available and there's not a Kindle version yet, but that's expected somewhere on the, sometime on the horizon. Is that correct?
2: I am told it's on the way. I don't have a ETA, an ETA on that.
0: Gotcha. And here's the, the cover of the book. Again, box full of nightmares. Terry Hobbs's personal memoirs on the West Memphis Three murders by Vicki Edwards. Is there anything else you guys would like to add before we wrap it up?
1: Buy the book, enjoy the read, and use some of it in your life.
0: Good point. Excellent point. There's a lot of great information here. It's a very superb book. It's essential reading for people who want to understand the West Memphis Three. Highly recommended. Terry Hobbs, Vicky Edwards, thank you so much I appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Good night. Thank you. Thank you.